0: Like mine is, after singing praise to the Lord this morning, uh, full of gratitude and thankfulness um, for what has been done for us on our behalf, um, which is everything—everything everything that we don't deserve. So, I'm very, very grateful for the musicians leading us in singing this morning. Um, that last song is just one of my favorites. Uh, the first time I heard that song, I just sat there in a puddle of tears, <laughs> just crying. I love that song so. Um, very, very, very helpful to our hearts to, to sing, uh, praise to God this morning. Let me ask the Lord to help us as we get into his word, that he will be exalted and that the scriptures will be clear this morning and it will be helpful to you. And then we'll dive in uh, to what we're going to talk about. Right? Let's pray. Father, we understand we need you this morning. Holy Spirit, illuminate our hearts We come in with so many burdens and cares and responsibilities, and Lord, we we want to be concerned about those things. They're important things that we, we have in our lives, but this morning we want to set aside a few minutes to turn our attention to this topic of hope, and specifically to the hope that we have in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you would help us this morning. Enlighten our minds, open our hearts to your word, and may we be changed even as we sit here and listen during our time this morning. This is our desire and our prayer that we would be sculpted and shaped and formed to resemble the Lord Jesus Christ. And if someone is here and has never heard about the hope of of eternal life that we have in you, may you use our time to open their eyes to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name and for his glory. Amen. I know some of you have read or have heard uh, of the book Unbroken. Um, They made it into a movie a a few years ago. But the book Unbroken tells the story of Louis Zamperini, who ran track. He was a, a track star in college and ended up going to the 1936 Olympics. And then after he ran track in the Olympics, he fought in World War II, He was captured in the Pacific Ocean by the Japanese. He ended up in a prisoner of war camp and was tortured um, during the war in Japan. Eventually, he was liberated when the war came to an end. He came back to the United States and after struggling to return to civilian life, giving himself over to alcoholism, he almost ruined his marriage and he ended up getting saved at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles. That's a a really quick summary of the story, but it is a remarkable story, and I would encourage you to go and get the book and read it if you have opportunity, but I want to tell you about one particular moment in the story that stuck out to me. Louis was a pilot in the Pacific, and there were several uh, of his crewmates on the plane with him. They were flying one day, and their plane was shot down over the Pacific Ocean, really out in the middle of nowhere. He and a couple of his friends, two other guys, survived and they found themselves floating on a raft in the Pacific Ocean with no rescue in sight, no food or very little food, and very little fresh water. Now they ended up floating, I believe it was 40 some days, maybe even close to 50 days, and two of the men survived the ordeal and one did not. And I want to read you a paragraph from the book that describes the difference in perspective between the two men who survived and the one man who didn't make it. Here's what it says. Though all three men faced the same hardship, their differing perceptions of it appeared to be shaping their fates. Louis and Phil's hope displaced their fear and inspired them to work toward their survival. And each success renewed their spiritual and emotional vigor. Mac, the other man, Mac's resignation seemed to paralyze him. And the less he participated in their efforts to survive, the more he slipped. Though he did the least, as the days passed, it was he who faded the most. Louis and Phil's optimism and Mac's hopelessness were becoming self fulfilling. And I think this scene from Unbroken provides a very perceptive and in many ways a perfect picture of what's happening in our world today. There are many, many people who are becoming increasingly like Mac. They've lost hope. They're paralyzed and resigned to whatever is going to happen. Circumstances have put them in a position where they Oftentimes, we'll see nothing worth living for, and they don't look forward to and anticipate anything in the future. And in many ways, it makes sense, right? I mean, we do live in a time when there are multiple challenges to having hope. And those challenges fight against us every day. It's like you wake up, and they're immediately on top of you, creating a sense of sadness and of hopelessness in you. I mean, I could list many of them this morning. We've had a global pandemic. We have a new war in Ukraine, the threat of nuclear war through that conflict. We have constant political unrest, increasing polarization. Everybody hates everybody else. There's a string of bad news that strangles our joy, and we're constantly exposed to that bad news from all around the world. If you're on social media at all, there's the constant comparison that that brings to you. Oh, my life is not as good as hers is. It's all over the place. Recently, we have a rise in inflation that adds financial stress to -to day-to-day life. There's so many things that cause a sense of hopelessness and dread and fear about the future. A study came out just a few weeks ago that said in 2021, Almost half of the teenagers in our country reported feeling persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness, 44%. Another survey said that psychologists and therapists are seeing such a rise in requests for counseling and for therapy that they are often overworked. It's like our society and our culture is on a treadmill of fear, and impossible expectations, and of bad news. And we're on this treadmill, and all of this is hitting us day after day, and it's like the speed of the treadmill only increases, and there's no way to get off of it. That's why many are feeling hopeless. And the feeling of hopelessness eventually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You just go further and further down the hole. All that being said, I'm glad you're here this morning. (laughs) I really am. Because I want to speak into that this morning. Hope is not something that you have to live without. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what is happening in the world around us, regardless of the war, of social media, of financial stress, all of that, hope is not something that you have to live without. I would argue that like Louis and Phil, in that quote that I read, that hope is one of the most important qualities that you can cultivate. It will strengthen you as you get up every morning to face the difficulties of life in our crazy and broken world. So this morning, I want to address that by asking two questions and answering those two questions, all right? The first question is this. What is hope? Let's talk about hope a little bit, and let's talk about specifically what it is that we're talking about when we say the word hope. We're going to work toward an understanding of it so that you can begin to cultivate it and recognize it in your own life. And then secondly, I want to ask the question, how can we have real hope? What's necessary for you and I to cultivate genuine and true hope in these difficult times? Now, each of those questions is going to come with three answers, and that sounds like a lot of moving parts and pieces, but don't worry. I'm going to put it on the screen for you so you can follow along, and hopefully we'll keep it nice and simple, all right? So the first question, what is hope? Three answers to this, and all of them are necessary to inform our understanding of this quality or this virtue this perspective that we have on life. The first one of these. Hope is always future-oriented. I want to read you this passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, that speaks about the future perspective and orientation of hope. For in this hope, it's talking about the hope of our resurrected bodies, which we'll get to later. But in this hope, which is in the future, we were saved, Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, right? It's coming, it's in the future. We wait for it with patience. The future orientation of hope changes how we wait, how we live life in the present. You don't hope for what is already in front of you, what you've already seen, and you definitely don't hope for what is in the past. Hope has a future orientation and perspective. I was sitting with one of my children the other night at the dinner table. I think it was just the two of us there. And this particular child said, it's 6 p.m. And it will never be 6 p.m. on April 11th, 2022, ever again. This is the only moment in time when it will be 6 p.m. And that's a pretty accurate perception, right? Think about how brief Our experience of the present is in our lives. We move from moment to moment, and we're always living in the present, but it's such a brief uh, moment of time that actually exists in the present. And so much of our lives are remembering the past and looking ahead, either with fear or with hope, to the future. And so, my question for you this morning is since hope is about the future, what happens in your heart when you think about the future? What goes on there? What sort of emotional reaction do you have when you look ahead to the future? Many people experience despair, or fear, anxiety, depression when they look into the future. All they see is a dark tunnel, no light. And that dark tunnel goes deeper and deeper into the earth and it doesn't seem like there's any way out of it. But hope is future-oriented in a different way. It looks forward to the future with anticipation and sees good prospects there. There's a level of excitement about the future when you actually have hope. Think of it not like a dark tunnel that goes deeper into the earth, but in some ways, hope is like seeing sunny days spent at the beach with a slight breeze. Every aspect of life is not like that, but hope definitely gives you that sensation that there is something to look forward to about the future. Regardless, hope is always about the future, and you need to understand that if you're going to understand hope. The second part of hope is that hope is confidence in something or someone. We'll fill this out a little bit later. But right now, you just need to understand that hope looks toward the future and has confidence in something and a promise or a person. I want you to make sure you understand that when we talk about hope, we're not talking about wishful thinking. This is how we use this word most of the time in our culture, isn't it? We say things like, I hope that it doesn't rain this weekend. I hope that I win the Mega Millions jackpot. Right? What is that? That is a dream. That is wishful thinking. There's no actual confidence in that, and you have no reason to have confidence that you're going to buy that ticket and win the Mega Millions jackpot. And when you speak like that, you're expressing a desire, there's a wish, there's a dream there, but it's not based on anything concrete. And that's not biblical and true hope. Biblical hope has the confidence in the right things. It looks ahead and sees a person and a promise and banks on that and has confidence in the right things. Psalm 33 talks about this. The king is not saved by his great army, a warrior is not delivered by his great strength, the war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. There are wrong things, unworthy things to build your life on and put your hope and your confidence in. There are also true things. There are truths and there are promises and there is a person who is worthy and who is strong enough to sustain your hope for the future, even in the midst of suffering and of difficulty and of hard things happening. You can be sure that he will do what he says he will do. Third part of hope. Hope is joyful anticipation. We've kind of talked about this earlier, but as hope looks to the future, there is a sense of joy about this, right? Hope gets excited. It's not brushing over and ignoring hard things that are going to happen, but hope has such confidence in one thing and one person in particular that there's still joy in the midst of difficulty. And I don't know if you ever think about this, but hope is always mixed with joy. This is how the Bible presents real biblical hope. A couple of verses for you. Proverbs ten twenty-eight. The hope of the righteous brings joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. There's nothing to the wish or the desire of the wicked. It's going to fade away. It's going to perish. It's not going to come to reality. But the hope of the righteous brings a sense of joy now. And there's actually a command in Romans 12 to rejoice in hope. To let your anticipation of the future be filled with joy and eager expectation. I have a definition of hope here that I want to share with you. It's one of my favorite descriptions of this quality uh, of hope. Here's what it says. Hope is a construal or a perception, an interpretation, right? It's an interpretation of one's future as holding good prospects. In hoping, a person delights in the future, welcomes it with enthusiasm, tastes it with the pleasure of anticipation because he sees excellent prospects of having what he wants. So if you put All three of these answers of what is hope together, here's what I think you get. And here's how we would define and describe hope. Hope is a joyful anticipation of future goods or benefits that is grounded in a person and his promises. Hope is a joyful anticipation of future goods or benefits that are grounded, that is grounded in a person and his promises. Now, we need to give content to that, right? What exactly are we talking about when we talk about a person and his promises? What are the future goods that we can eagerly anticipate? And you have to understand this, or you won't really have true hope. You'll build your hope. You'll get excited about something that can't sustain joy in the midst of suffering. You'll build your life on something that can't follow through and can't carry you through the difficult times. So to fill this out, we need to ask our second question this morning. How can we have real hope? So we've tried to define hope. And now we want to talk about how we can actually cultivate and develop real hope in our lives. To answer this, you're probably already there, but I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 if you're not. If you're using a pew Bible, Dom mentioned this, but page 1014, right near the back. It's a good place to go. 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be for the rest of our time this morning. Now, as you turn there, let me explain really quickly what's going on in 1 Peter, okay? This is a fascinating little letter that Peter has written here. And it's fascinating because he wrote this letter to a particular group of people in certain circumstances. These people were suffering in a a culture that was antithetical to their faith. They were suffering because of their faith. The people he's writing to, for the most part, are not the upper echelon of society. They were marginalized in many ways. They were sort of put out of the mainstream of society because of their faith. And now they're going through some incredibly difficult things. And so Peter writes this letter to them, and he's going to encourage them, and he wants them to continue to maintain their faith in the midst of their suffering and of their persecution. And he uses this one image throughout this book to try to describe what it's like for them to live in a hostile culture and to have their future home and their hope fixed in heaven. And the image he uses is one of a sojourner. The idea is a refugee here. So, When you think of that word, a sojourner or a refugee, what you have is someone who is living in a foreign country for an extended period of time. It's not their homeland. They're there, they're living there, but they're not a citizen. They aren't completely comfortable with the cultural realities, probably not okay with some of the food options that are available. Things are very different. They feel somewhat out of place but they're living as a sojourner in this foreign country. They're having to navigate the culture and the customs of this country while they hope and wait to return to their home country. That's the people that Peter's writing to here. And he's writing to them to live in that foreign country with hope, and not to embrace despair. And you can see how easy it would be for them to live with a sense of hopelessness. They're not at home, they're not comfortable, they're being persecuted, they're suffering. It would be very easy for them to sort of slide into depression and anxiety and despair. But Peter writes to them and says, I want you to live as sojourners with genuine hope because of what's coming in your future, because you have good prospects coming your way. There are things that you can be excited about, even in the midst of your difficulties. And so he challenges them to place their hope in God, and he begins that in verse 3. So I want you to look there with me. With all of that in the background, here's how he starts this letter. Blessed, verse 3, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we'll continue in this text in a minute here, but this is where we're going to get our three answers to this question. How can we have real hope? All three of them are going to be found here in verses 3 and what follows. The first one of these is that hope, real hope, Requires the new birth. It requires the new birth. You can see in verse 3, the verse I just read there, that living hope is the goal. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what or why? To a living hope. It's not a vain hope. It's not a a wish or a dream that we were talking about earlier. It's not wishful thinking. It's a hope that is active in their lives. It's a hope that influences how they think and how they live and how they respond every single day. It gives them perspective. It gives them strength each morning as they get up and face the difficulties of life. But here's the thing about this living hope It does not come naturally to us. None of us are born with this sort of living hope. To have a hope like this that shapes your life every day requires a complete change of who you are. And Peter describes that change as a new birth, as being born again, a fresh start. Look again at verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. None of us are born into this world physically with the capacity to hope in God. He is the only one who true hope can rest on, but you and I are not born into this world with the capacity to trust him and to hope in him. Instead, we are born into this world spiritually inert, spiritually dead, unable to respond to God or to hope in him. In fact, we are born with the capacity and only the capacity to rebel against him and go our own way. We're born with the ability and the desire and the capacity to pursue sin and to plunge ourselves deeper into sin, which increases our despair and our fear and our anxiety. But to be born again is to receive new life, new desires. It's to have a fresh and an active relationship with God. To be born again is to suddenly have the ability to know God, to know that you can hope in him, to know his character and that he can be relied upon. But I want you to notice how the new birth happens. Look again at verse 3. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. God causes the new birth. You did not bring about your physical birth. I am confident of that. And you cannot bring about on your own and in your own ability and your own power and your own will and your own good works, you cannot bring about your spiritual birth. Well, that seems like a conundrum. How does it take place then? How do I experience this new birth? Look down at verse 23 of this chapter. Since... You have been born again, speaking to Christians here, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Here's how. Through the living and abiding word of God. The Word of God is the instrument that causes and brings about the new birth in your life. As you hear the good news about Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead, as you hear that and, and God's Spirit works in you, He opens your eyes to be able to see your sin and see your rebellion and see the way that you live from your birth physically, that you are spiritually dead. He opens your eyes to be able to see that and at the same time, now to be able to see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the worthiness of his character and the work that he has done for you. And as that happens, spiritual birth comes about. And faith begins to flower in your heart and you begin to see these truths as they're explained from God's Word and your heart says, yes, that is true. I see my sin and I see the glory of Christ and what He's done for me and I need Him. I need His work on the cross. I need new life. I need to be born again. But why would God give the new birth to those who have rebelled against Him and who live their lives Totally opposed to His will and ways. Look back at verse 3. According to His great mercy. It's according to His great mercy that you have been born again this morning. That's it. That's the basis. Hope begins with God's mercy and it flows into the new birth and then a living hope comes to be. And comes into existence out of that. It doesn't start with you or me and our resources, our ability. This is good news this morning. This is good news because some of you may feel like everything depends on you, that you have to get it together, that you have to make yourself clean, that you have to start making good choices before God will accept you. You've made bad choices. And you feel like you have to fix things and probably that you can never fix things, which is true if you've made bad choices, which we all have. That's how we come into this world, making bad choices, and it compounds itself over time. And God knows all of that and understands all of that and yet extends his great mercy. God looks at his creation in our miserable and pitiable condition in our sin and extends rich, abundant, and great mercy to us. The new birth happens according to God's mercy. It's like mercy is the guiding reality, the guiding principle that brings about the new birth. God loves us and does not want to see us lost for all eternity, and so he takes action and he brings about the new birth. But how exactly is God able to offer the new birth to us and bring it about in our lives? This is the next part of, the real, of real hope. Hope rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born again with the result being a living hope based on the mercy of God, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what allows that to happen and makes that a possibility in our lives. We talked earlier about how true hope is dependent on, is based on, and finds its faith in something that is concrete and real, this is the dependable concrete reality that makes hope possible. A living hope rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It looks back and sees the resurrection and looks forward and says, the same thing is going to happen to me in the future. And I'm confident of that, because it's already happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. This makes hope possible. 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits Right, He's the the initial offering of victory over sin and death. And that first fruit guarantees that more, a greater harvest is coming. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The resurrection, what we're celebrating this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining reality in all of human history. It's the defining event. I mean, just let's break it down real simple here. If a man named Jesus walked this earth 2,000 years ago, died on a Friday, laid in the grave till Sunday, and on Sunday morning, if his dead and cold human heart started beating again and life and blood coursed through his veins and he took a deep breath then everything is different. Everything has changed. Then if that's true, there is hope beyond this life. There's hope in this life and there's hope beyond it. There's hope for a future resurrection for you and for me. But you can't treat this casually. You can't sort of be halfway in and halfway out. The resurrection cannot be approached in a half-hearted manner. Either he rose from the dead or he didn't. There's no middle ground. Two options here this morning. You don't sort of, kind of, rise from the dead. Doesn't happen that way. There's no asterisk. There's no maybe about this. If you are in the plane with a parachute strapped to your back and they slide the door open, you either jump or you don't. One way or the other. There's no middle ground in skydiving. It's the same thing. To have true hope for your life to be based on something real and true this morning requires that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is a historical certainty. But if he did walk out of that grave, then everything is different. Then we can and should live with a living hope. We have that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to 1 Thessalonians. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since... We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We have hope, real hope, living hope because of the resurrection. And that hope brings a change in our lives now. It brings joy to us today. And this is the the third part of having real hope. Hope rejoices in my future inheritance because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. We are born again to a living hope and to a future inheritance. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now remember who Peter is writing this book to. He's writing this book to a group of people who are sojourners, they're refugees, they're living away from their home country. And the reality is that sojourners and refugees don't have a land inheritance. They're not even thinking about that. They're not expecting to receive an inheritance in the future. They're not in their home country, so they have no expectation for that. And so these people would not even dream of having something like that. But Peter says those who are born again to a living hope can anticipate a future inheritance. And that future inheritance won't get spent. It won't get stolen. It will not be subject to the ups and downs of the stock market. It will be there. Look at the rest of verse 4 again. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5. Who, by God's power, are being guarded, right now, guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our inheritance and hope is a future with God, enjoying his presence and delighting in all of the benefits of a relationship with him. And that future hope gives us incredible durability in the midst of life's ups and downs and difficulties. Because that's exactly how Peter describes this in verses 6 through 9. Look there with me. In this, so in the inheritance that we have, in the living hope that we have, in this you rejoice. There's joy in this, but, but look, even in the midst of difficulty, joy comes. Look at verse 6 again. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You can rejoice even though you're grieved by various trials. That sounds significant. That sounds like a very difficult thing to have ha- happened to you. But with the future hope and a future inheritance, you can rejoice even in that. Verse 7 So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, or you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hope matters a lot. In our lives Today, whether you have it or not this week, hope is significant. We saw it at the beginning with Louis and with Phil. It made all the difference. They looked toward the future and they had hope. They anticipated. They had optimism. It made a difference in their lives and we've, we've seen the difference that it can make in Scripture this morning. But it has to be true hope. It can't be wishful thinking and it has to be founded and based on the right and true things. It's based in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a hope that joyfully anticipates the goodness that God will bring in the future. And that hope will reorient and reshape your life today. So, what do you do this morning if you are living without this sort of living hope? What if your daily experience is much more defined by despair and frustration and fear? What do you do this morning to cultivate living hope? The answer is the same whether you are born again or not. Acknowledge your lack of hope to God and ask for his mercy and grace to give you life through his word, whether new life for the first time or a renewed experience of him through his word. Read the Gospel of John. We're going through that on Sunday mornings here. Discover who Jesus is and submit to his gospel. Submit your life to the truth of who he is and what he has done. He's the one who offers a living hope through his resurrection from the dead. And we can find it and have it in him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, work in our hearts through your word. Open our eyes to the glory of Christ and help us to see the the value of hope and a true hope that is founded in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for all you've done for us. We thank you for the great mercy that we have experienced. Use this passage in our lives and in our hearts now. It's in Christ's name we pray.